0: Welcome. This is William Evans, and you are listening to Shifting Gears. Our guest today was elected the 38th governor of Colorado three times. Welcome, Governor Richard Lamb.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: We're doing a series of conversations about trust. So as we travel this, uh, this time together, anything that's relevant to trusting yourself... Uh, your instincts, uh, your boldness, uh, feel free to, to bring that in. Okay. When you moved to Colorado, you engaged with the way of life here, learning to ski and climb and kayak.
1: I actually had learned to ski before that, and, and I was a somewhat of an outdoorsman at the University of California when I was in law school. So uh, I, I had been converted to the life of the outdoors before I moved to Colorado, and that fact, that's one of the reasons I moved here.
0: Shortly after you moved to Colorado, you saw a big transition early on floating through Glen Canyon as it drowned. Yes,
1: yes, that was quite an experience. We, uh, and you were on that trip, we, we saw that this great place was going to be lost and if we had any chance to ever see it, we were going to have to move fast because they had already closed the dam when we started our trip down the river. But it was a, it was a memorable trip.
0: It certainly was. And you learned about the transition of floating from quiet water into the turbulence of whitewater rapids both. A in, metaphor, a metaphor. Um, <laughs> metaphorically and you learned it in the reality of uh, being, yeah. being in the river. And you learned about transition skiing. What happens when you hit a, a place where the slope flattens out and you're compressed down? hmm Yes. And then you begin engaging with environmental issues like Ruleson, and the priceless fossil beds at Fleurissant and anticipating the consequences of events like the Winter Olympic Games.
1: Yes, I, I really ha- have... Always been, loved the outdoors, and I've been uh, very much suspicious of anything that poses some uh, damage to the outdoors, uh, especially unnecessarily. And um, so they'd be happy to talk about them one at a time. But I did get involved, and I I was uh, actually engaged as an for, or it, was, it was pro bono, but anyway, as a lawyer to try to stop the Atomic Energy Commission from shooting off nuclear devices under northwestern Colorado to make some natural gas. I was involved in stopping a developer who was going to scrape off the priceless fossil beds down at Florissant. those were uh, two big cases that I got involved in. I lost, I lost the Ruleson case, um, and they went ahead and they exploded two n- uh, nuclear devices under Colorado. Uh, and then, uh, then, but I won the Florissant case where we were able to get a judge to stop the landowner from scraping his land.
0: Yeah, there was an old ranching family here in the valley that had a big stone cutting board in the, uh, in the middle of the kitchen, and when they fired that shot at Rulson, it split.
1: Isn't that interesting? Yeah.
0: Fractured, fractured right down the middle, and it's kind of it's a, a dramatic uh, example of how everything is interconnected.
1: And, and and the un- and law of un- unanticipated consequences too. I think that you know the, um, the the idea at any point that they could have, on a large scale, do you know, have set off one nuclear bomb after another under Colorado, to get gas that ultimately was found to be tritiated, which is uh, radiated gas. Um, I mean, you just wonder where those people's heads
0: were. Well, and they they cut a railroad right away with nuclear weapons before that. (laughs) Um, It it was a wild time then, and it's a wild time now.
1: You know, I like the idea. It was called Project Plowshare, and I like the idea, you know, of trying to find some other use for nuclear energy because we – you know we can wipe ourselves out if we just think about the bomb part of it. But a lot of this stuff was, you know, they were talking about building whole harbors someplace, and that uh, uh, you need a new harbor along your coast will m- make you one with nuclear devices. I mean, you, I, I just do, still shake my head. I I appreciate the fact they're trying to do something useful and peaceful, but I think they sure made some wrong mistakes.
0: And the critical thing is, are we going to learn from our mistakes? So I want to, with that background, I want to come right into the present moment. And, and today, you as an elder still enjoy an active life. You've seen a lot of change. And you've seen enough to know we don't live in an ordinary time right now. All right. I sure do. So we're in a transition, a, a big one involving every dimension of our lives and world yep, yep. And?
1: I absolutely think that we um, that the, the status quo is not sustainable and the status quo you know means not only our use of fossil fuels but I think that our status quo of our thinking you know we were uh, for for 2,000 years we've learn to rip up and tear out and, and uh, plow over. And I think that the um, that the rules now under the fact of global warming and being good ecological citizens of the world require one of the most massive changes in um, in, in history. I think more than the Industrial Revolution, maybe even more than the uh, Renaissance, I think that we have to come up with a new way, way of thinking about and acting upon the, the, the world.
0: Yeah, it, for some people it's more remembering what their, uh, what their ancestors knew, and for the rest of us it may be recognizing the mistakes inherent in uh, constructing a harbor with nuclear weapons.
1: Very interesting organization in Kansas um, called the Land Institute.
0: Yes, and, uh, I've they, been there. They
1: are trying to find new ways to make uh, wheat uh, a perennial, so that they don't have to plant it every year. It's really, it's amazing the kind of things that people are—they're uh, uh, trying to find ways, you know, to feed a hungry world and. And I, I just, I really enjoy the creativity of some people that are, have, have grand ideas and are pursuing them.
0: Well, and, and the flow of that creativity is going to make the difference because the, the instability inherent in a crumbling status quo either means our creativity gets in, in rhythm and partnership with Mother Earth or large numbers of people fall down or they feel let down by their leaders.
1: I think that that's, those are great words that you put just put together, and they're so true. Yeah, um, we don't have the option of just not, not, not doing nothing. We are on a road to destruction. I don't know uh, that destruction, I hope, isn't going to be to blow ourselves up. That could happen much faster, but we don't have very much time. The scientists tell us we have 12 years to get our carbon emissions um, dramatically reduced, or we're simply going to heat ourselves off this planet. In fact, we're already starting right now. There's massive movements of people in sub-Sahara Africa. And I, I think that this is uh, a very creative and challenging time uh, to be alive. And I, I think that sort of no generation in a long time at least since 1939, or something, with the world war facing us, has, has has as much I suppose you can say, you know, challenges. But I also say that ought to be opportunity. I I I would love to be 30 again because some famous person said, "Dream no small dreams." <laughs> you know, if you if you can accomplish what you've set your goal within a lifetime you've chosen too small a goal and i think that that kind of stuff really excites me because you know a large a large problem like global warming is worthy of our endeavors
0: and maintaining stability through a transition is a is a big deal and you know what it's like whether you have a a role in the river in your kayak or whether you just swim and you're out there in the turbulence and you've lost your benefit of of being able to control your direction.
1: Yes. I You know, when you look at the rate and pace of change, um, there's a guy named Ray Kurzweil, who's a futurist, and he says that we're going to see as much change in the first 21 years of this century as we did in the whole 20th century. And then In the next 14 years, 14 years, we're going to see as much change as the last century. And then in the next seven years, and on it goes. And he says that, you know, we're going to see a thousand times more change in this century we're living in than the last century. And it's a question you raise. How do we keep our stability amid such rate of change?
0: Well, you've continued to engage with change as you saw it happening now we have to look further ahead and engage with change to see see where it's carrying us. It's it's like we're in lava falls.
1: You know, I you know I'm proud of what I've done, and I did my best in the in, the, in, the, in the, that I could on in various issues. But when I when I look at how gargantuan an issue it is. To change people's whole thinking of things, you know, there, 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 the automobile has become such a part of our lives. The, the high, um, living standards, which I don't, which I'm very happy for, but I'm afraid, you know, the idea that everybody could live in a twenty-four hundred square foot house, um, they. And, and drive two cars, you know, we're going to have to come up with new lifestyle.
0: This is William Evans. You're listening to Shifting Gears and a conversation with Governor Richard Lamb. So you're anchored in your, in your childhood connection to nature. Mm-hmm. And I am. And that continues to inform your ability to make life sustaining choices.
1: Yes, and I think one of the tragedies about being 83 is I can't, you know, I've climbed most of the 14,000-foot mountains here in Colorado, but not all of them. And I, I left them to, I have a couple of really tough ones to go that I'm not going to be able to do. And I would have loved to have been the first governor to climb all of our 54, 14,000-foot peaks. But nevertheless, life has been very good to me, and um, I, I, I just wish I could interact with nature more than I do.
0: That's true, I I <laughs> I uh, I'm in the same place. So I I'm accepting those realities. But what we can do as as elders is to uh, speak from the platform that's available about the the transition we're in and the probably the transition that's going to be necessary from winning contests to learning how to be able to live in partnership with the earth and with life
1: yes somebody once said that maturity is a recognition of your limitations, and I, that's very meaningful to me because as you know as i can't i had one of the great tragedies tragedies one of the great sadnesses of my life when i had to give up jogging i loved to run and but you know it maturity is a recognition of your limitations well similarly the whole world around you. I mean, as we, as the earth gets more crowded, more polluted, more subject to global warming, we're going to have to understand better limitations.
0: I think we're going to have to learn how to, to live in partnership in a way we've forgotten. I think our ancestors knew how to do that. <laughs> and we have this wonderful guy up, upstream, Tom Crum. And he learned at an early age the magic of conflict and the skill of blending with an aggressor without giving up his authentic identity. Right. Yes, I know, Tom. And that's a powerful teaching because what do you have to say as an experienced elder to young people today? What's what's critical going into the turbulence we're entering into?
1: Great question. Um, I, I think that one, you know one of which is that I don't want to discourage them. So I still I start off by saying they still have uh, a great uh, life ahead of them that they shouldn't be discouraged um, because I, I teach a bunch of twenty year olds and I I hate to discourage them and I I teach a course called Hard Choices and sometimes I think that I you know I don't want to I don't want to depress them but I would. I, I would say that they have incredible powers to change the world around them. That, 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 um, that's, this is an exciting time. There's a lot of people uh, in the world that envy their, their power because they, they live in a country where change can happen and you can affect the, the world around you. And so I, you know, I really tell young people that, first of all, there's nothing been more important in my life nothing I've been more proud of than the the ability to get involved in public policy and try to change the world for the better. Number two, that they can do it also. And number three, don't get discouraged.
0: And you've shared with me, and you've reiterated it in what you've just said, that you don't want to discourage young people, but you have to speak the truth. And yet, Potency of an elder's recognition of some some spark you've got, as as you told me, David Brower recognized in you and said, "I I want you to come work with me," and you said no, but it was also a life changing acknowledgement.
1: It's a it's a fine line to walk because I do want to teach the magnitude of the. Various problems, whether that's Social Security, the the whole entitlement problem that America faces, uh, the, the amount of debt that we're leaving the next generation. But more important to me is the the nat- natural world. No matter what happens to Social Security, if the world goes on, then, then you know at least at least we're in the game. So I think that we have lots of problems uh, facing our society. No generation has. No, uh, is problem-free. They all face a variety of different problems. But all of a sudden, uh, right now, the current generation faces a problem, the magnitude of which uh, pales in the comparison to the, the previous problems. Now, fighting the Second World War was not a small problem. It was a monstrous problem. But I think that we're going to have to redesign lifestyles, how we create wealth, how we how we distribute wealth, how we... Um, we enjoy ourselves. I think that in a time of global warming, you know, for instance, you 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 just can't continue to drive two cars and and have air conditioning and heating a house in Denver and and in Vale. I mean, you know, you we we there's going to be a rich life out there, um, and in one that I would really love to have some role in designing because i think that people are going to have to stop being so material about their their wants and and t- and try to live more modest lifestyles but that but but compensate for that by you know song music song poetry reading you know i think instead of you know instead of valuing your life by comparing your, your riches with your neighbor, you, you really are ha- have to think that, you know, all of the great religious traditions, I mean, this isn't me talking, I mean, all of the religious traditions, whether it's Buddhism, or Christianity, or Hinduism, or that material goal, goals are false gods, and they are false gods. And, and if you worship them, you, you, you miss out on a lot of good things in life.
0: And one of those is just the sheer joy and peace of knowing how much is enough.
1: Yes, that was the secret of Buddhism. I don't want to say that it isn't the other. As I mentioned, all, all the great traditions do that, but Buddhism took that on directly. Buddha said, you know, you, you, know, you want to get rich, you reduce your wants. And I think those are some of the wisest words ever said. Yeah.
0: What do you say to your children and your grandchildren?
1: Yes, we're wrestling with that right now, and I've had lots of practice with wrestling with this problem because I, you know, I've been teaching students for forty years. But, you know, my. I, there's only certain amount that you can do. I, I, Daddy, and I both came to Colorado because we love the outdoors, and we spend a life skiing, climbing, and running rivers. And um, none of, <laughs> neither of our kids do that now. They have their own wonderful goals and, and recreations, and I am not criticizing them. But I just it just shows you that. Um, you know, your children uh, children have minds of their own.
0: They but certainly I do.
1: do. <laughs> yeah. I, I, very, I try to be very careful to um, tell them that whatever their um, immediate uh, interests and passions are, that they're, they're going to have to play a role in saving the world because their time in history, you know, we all we all step into the stream of history at a particular point in time, and, you know, if you, if you stepped in history as a 21-year-old in 1939, um, you, you were subject to a Second World War. If you step into history as a 21-year-old in 2019, um, all of a sudden the, that stream of history is, presents you with a different course, a different set of challenges. Uh, your, your kayak metaphor is very relevant here. and that they have to—you um, don't get to choose your time in history. You don't get to choose the problems that you face. You might get to choose the, what you spend the time on, but you're faced with— when you in 19, 19, 2019, you're faced with global warming and, and, and all of the things that flow from that.
0: From your perspective, what do you think are going to be the critical skills— for this transition and, and the creative resolution of a stabilized population and carrying capacity relationship?
1: You know, that's such a great question because you can, um, let, me, let me answer it in, in a couple of ways. Number one, I think I'd urge people to get involved. Teddy Roosevelt has this, has this great statement, you know, you get involved in the passion of one's times. At the risk of being judged, never to have really lived, and I believe that young people have to get involved in the passion of one's times. And there's, you know, there's nothing, nothing better. You you can see that in the civil rights movement. All of the people that marched for uh, civil rights and equality. You can see that in people today that are trying to find um, different different ways to stop the the carnage of guns uh, i i just think that if you don't get involved in some of the passions of your times you're missing a great deal
0: yes yeah and and there's so many it's really lining up your authentic identity with your gifts and what calls to you because there's so much to be done and it's only going to happen, and we're only going to make the transition if we really engage with what we've got.
1: that, that's, that Again, that's very well said, Will. That's very well said.
0: Well, thank you, Governor.
1: Um, I think that, you, um, that, that you've, you've also – the thing that discourages me right now is that I think we're on the – absolutely what we've been talking about is the right track. The dilemma is that some of these problems are so overwhelming. So if you're sitting in 1939 and you say there's going to be a war coming, you know there's sort of very little you can do to stop it. You know, you have to you have to do do the best you can, but and I think right now I would love I think everybody ought to think about how you make a, how you make a smaller footprint on the earth and how you live ecologically better to the earth but if you take as a goal stopping global warming you know you're likely to be discouraged and so i think it's the old statement how do you eat a eat a whale you know at a mouthful of a time and i think that that's what you do on some of these problems there's so many different things that need to be done to make us ecologically sound that there's just if you don't don't set too big, don't set an impossible goal. I guess is what I'm
0: saying. Right. I I was very grateful for uh, the advice I got. Just all you need to do is take one step at a time. Yep.
1: That's, that's it's amazing. Some of the best advice is so simple.
0: Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. This is William Evans. You've been listening to Shifting Gears, and a conversation with Richard Lamb, the thirty eighth governor of Colorado. This is KDNK. Thank you for listening.